Welcome and thanks for listening. This is your Nebraska Judicial Branch. Greetings and thank you again for joining us. I am your host, Gene Cotter. May is Problem Solving Court Month in Nebraska and across the country. Earlier today, Chief Justice Mike Hevekin, in a ceremony, proclaimed it as such and asked the people of state of Nebraska, especially those working within the legal system, to help celebrate Problem Solving Court Month. The guest speakers were Janetta and Thomas Albers, who have graduated from the District 5 or the 5th Judicial District's Problem Solving Court, and they have been gracious enough to join us on the podcast today. Janetta and Thomas, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so I'm just going to jump right in. Uh, Janetta, why don't we start with you? Tell us a little bit about your history growing up. I know you grew up in Idaho. How'd you get to Nebraska? Like, when did, uh, when did maybe you find your introduction into the, the wonderful world of, of substance use? And, and how did you find your way to, to problem-solving court? All right. So um, I had a very uh, pretty traumatic childhood growing up. Um, Started at the age of three, there was uh, molestation, sexual assault, um, I abuse pretty heavily. Um, I actually found my way into the drug scene in uh, about 13, 14 years old, and I went straight heavy. Um, and I have been on, I was on ever since. Thomas, uh, you grew up locally, Polk County. Your fellow Polk County guy—that's where I—that's where I'm from too. It's actually where one of the uh, the, chief, the justices that you were just in the room with is from Polk County as well. So, maybe tell us a little bit of your story. Um, well, yeah, I uh, grew up in Osceola. Um, I graduated from there, but uh, um, I think I started in the substance abuse when I was about twelve. Um, it was a pretty normal thing in our household. Um, my mom and dad, well, my dad mostly, he was growing marijuana. And he, he didn't hide it from us. And that, it kind of seemed normal, you know. But uh, I didn't start into the heavy stuff until I was about 16 years old. Then ever since then, it's been a blur. <laughs> So, Thomas, as you now, I just want to take you a little more detailed. So, when you talk about you started using marijuana, then you got started using the heavy stuff. Yeah. Would you be willing to talk a little bit more more about that progression from marijuana to the heavy stuff? And then, Jeanette, I'll get back to you because you said you jumped right into the deep end right off right off the bat. And just so you both know, what I'm trying to do is paint paint a picture for people that no matter how bad you think it is and how bad it gets, there is always light at the end of the tunnel. There is a way out. So I just, that's the whole point of trying to tell, make sure that we're telling your whole story. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, I started smoking marijuana at about 12 years old. Um, it was pretty much an everyday occurrence. Um, I used to steal it from my dad and sell it at school, uh, smoke with my friends, um, during recess or right before lunch or whatever. Then uh, it was right after I graduated high school when I first um, when I first started smoking meth. Um, I mean, it, at first it was once in every couple weeks. Then it got more and more to the point of where I spent almost four hundred dollars a day on it, and it was 
it was one heck of a journey, I can tell you that. Um, I lost a lot. Um, pretty much um, my family quit talking to me. Um, didn't get that back going until pretty much we stopped. I mean, my mom was there for me, so was my dad, but they wouldn't. My mom would borrow me money knowingly what was going on because she didn't want me to leave. She didn't want me to go out and get killed or end up um, in prison or whatever. So she, she gave me the money to go out and get it, but... Um. Yeah. <laughs> so, Janetta, you're from Idaho. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about the jump in, and then how did you end up meeting Thomas? How did how did the two of you connect? The drugs. Okay. <laughs> I will be flat out honest with you. Um, Thomas and I got together because I had a piece and he had a bag, and we have been there, been together ever since. In Nebraska? Did you meet yep. halfway across Wyoming? No, nope, yeah, we, uh, we met here in Nebraska. I have been in Nebraska in August, will be 14 years. Um, I came out here, um, I was homeless, I had an infant, I was pregnant, I was barely, not even 18 years old yet. Um, my mom went out to Idaho, picked me up, and brought me back out here. So Thomas, when you, when you said about $400 a day, I don't know around Polk County, what kind of employment is making you $400 a day. So well, I'm assuming that there were some other means there was, involved. There was a lot of stealing, a lot of selling other people's stuff. It, it was bad all the way around. I mean, I can't say I was a good person by any means because I wasn't. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I stole and sold stuff to get money. Well, the reason I asked that question, Thomas, was because of I think that that a lot of people don't understand that when we when we have people sitting in prison, for example, for things like burglary or theft or stealing copper or whatever, that that isn't really a theft or a burglary or a theft by deception or whatever. That's probably in a lot of cases an addiction doing what an addiction needs to do to feed itself. Right. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah. Is that kind of, kind of the world that you found yourself living in? Yeah. I mean, I, I was like breaking into people's houses, stealing stuff, selling it for money to support my habit. How many, so what, what kind of, if I was looking at your rap sheet today, what would it look like? Do you have a lot of, do you have a lot of thefts on there um, or was it stuff? I, that I went actually, I actually don't have any theft charges. Um, when I was 16, I got a uh, vandalism charge. I, I, was, I actually went into the golf course in Osceola and tore up a lot of stuff. I think that was like $17,000 in restitution. Um, I was on probation for two and a half years. Janetta, how about you? What's uh, your story? Uh, my story... Um, my rap sheet is actually, my juvenile rap sheet was probably a couple inches thick. Um, well, it sounds like maybe a lot of that was in Nebraska. We call those abuse and neglect cases, uh, or habitually uncontrolled. In other words, incorrigible. Yeah. Uh, they, they placed me as incorrigible beyond my mother's control. Um, but what do you expect for, you know, I had undiagnosed mental health illnesses, and nobody would help me. So it was, I was out of control. 
Sounds like maybe the two of you have different paths to where you got. In other words, Thomas, you were, it was kind of maybe out of, out of accessibility and modeling. And Janetta, it seems like maybe you were self-medicating and finding ways to kind of bury those things from your past. Numb the pain. Numb the pain. So what was, what was the first step for you, Janetta, when you start thinking about things like, okay, I've been using this. I, I, it's numbing the pain. At what point did you kind of have that light bulb go on that maybe there's a different way, something's starting to work for you? Um, uh, probably about halfway through drug court. Okay, we'll talk about that. So um, you said during, during your presentation, during the proclamation, you said you're sitting in the Butler County Jail literally five seconds before the pandemic is officially declared, and you're like, oh, all right, here we go. So just let's go through that. You're sitting in the Butler County Jail, and let's start the rest of the story there. Uh, Butler County Jail didn't even scare us, to be honest. Um, yes, we did go to jail. We were sitting on uh, $50,000 bonds. We uh, had a slew of charges, felonies, um, child abuse. Um, what? Slow down a little bit for me there. So a slew of charges, child abuse, is that because your kids were in the house yep. and you were using around them or dealing around yep. them or? Using around them. Using around them. Uh, we okay. admitted to smoking in the house. Okay. Um, that didn't even hit us. That didn't even phase us. Yeah, we had our kids ripped away from us, but it was just whatever at that point. Um, we allowed our addictions and our, I would say, depression to take over to take over us fully. Um, we shut ourselves off from everybody, everywhere. Uh, we stayed in our room, and we didn't come out. And that, what, two months? Yeah, about two months of that. And then we was like, okay, well, this ain't getting, you know, this ain't getting nothing done. <laughs> um, but we, the very beginning of drug court, we were like, oh, you know, once we're done with drug court, you know, we can go back and use. Like, we just have to be smart about it, right? Like, okay, only every weekend, every other weekend. We're like, we still do this. Like, we can have control over this. We can, we can be good drug addicts, said no one ever. So you hit the rewind button back to about when you first started using yeah. Oh, I can just do this whenever I want yeah. to. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no. Said no drug addict ever. <laughs> Um, but it was, it was about halfway through the program that it, like I'd said, you know, a fire just emerged from us and, you know, we, we had one of the shortest CPS cases. Um, it was only five months from start to finish and it was voluntary. So that, I think that saved us. Um, but we, we knew that, that, that a change had to come. Like you, as a mom looking at your kids, you know, and they're begging you to come, you know, to come home. And you're like, you can't. The state will not allow you to come home. And I, I, I apologize. You know, like, it, it breaks your heart. And I think seeing the heartbreak in our kids, I think that was the, the most, the biggest turning point right there was just we let down our kids. How long did it take from the time you were thrown in the Butler County Jail till this fire started burning, that you really started feeling like you were thinking clearly and making decisions without that addiction burning in the back of your head? Over a year. Okay. And what, uh, how did that, can you describe that trek, that feeling, that moment of clarity that you had that was like, wow. 
it it was like you ran into or not even ran into it was like you're standing there and all of a sudden just a brick wall just smashes you in the face and like you, you it just opens and then like it is just this this field of flowers and like just sunrise and just and it the second that you cross over and it's just <sighs> weight is just gone and it's it's a good feeling you use the term we a lot there i'm going to go back to thomas for a second and when you talk about this this opening up into this into this field of flowers did you both get there at the same time thomas i wouldn't say so okay um for me it felt like it took longer i'd say it's probably it was probably about a year and a half until i felt like this was where we need to be like um like i like after we got our kids back and after we're doing so good in drug court or problem solving court and uh it just seen how seeing how well the kids are now just not even how they act but their schoolwork and like how they treat each other and how they act in an environment surrounding. That's what opened my eyes. Um, like back, like she said, oh, well, when we get done with this, we can go out and try to use again like that. And with the way the kids are now, I am completely against it. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't even, I don't know. It's a, it's a really good feeling. Well, and, and you talked, or we talked a little bit earlier about you starting down your path kind of from a modeling perspective. How old are your kids? Ten and nine. So they're getting to that age, about the age that you were, Thomas, when, when you started doing your stuff. And so right. setting a better example for them than, than maybe what, and that's not trying to bust chuck or talk trash about anybody historically, because it is, it is what it is, that everybody gets to their place in certain ways. Uh, but setting that better example for your own kids, right? Right. So the other thing that's interesting to me is during the presentation, Judge Mariquin, Judge Tina Mariquin, the problem-solving court judge in the 5th Judicial District, told a story about kind of an aha moment that you had, Thomas, where you came into court and she started by saying, how was everybody's week? And for the first time, you started off with a big smile on your face and said, I just passed a drug test for the first time without, like, having to manipulate it in some way. So I know that that probably seems like a really minimal thing to a lot of people, but in reality... That's huge. So can you just talk about why that was such a meaningful opportunity or such a meaningful moment to you? Okay, um, yeah. Um, so like, obviously I've had a lot of jobs growing up. Um, I've, I've probably had over 30 jobs since I've been able to work. And each job wouldn't last more than three, four months because I'd, I'd get going good, then I'd have enough money to go out and use, then I'd quit then I'd, everything would get all right and find another job, have enough money, then I'd stop and go out and use again. It was, a, it was a revolving door. It never stopped until we got in trouble. And when, well, like, for through all my past employments, uh, if, if there was a drug test involved, I 
pretty much tampered with it to where I pass. Like, it's not a good deal to know how to pass a drug test, but it's it's good knowing that I'm able to pass one now without faking it, without tampering with it or anything like that. Do you feel, Janetta, like it's kind of snowballed the other direction for the two of you now? I probably should have asked Thomas this question because you just talked about how I used to have 30 I had 30 jobs, and now all of a sudden, as we learned a little bit ago, you have now had the same job for, I think you said, three years. You've been promoted. You're whatever else. Okay, it's been two different jobs. Uh, The first job I had for a little over two years, then I went straight from that job to the job I am working now. He did the big boy thing, and he actually put in in his 28-day notice that was required. He sat out his 28-day notice and then moved to the next job. That, so, that, that's really big on my part because I've never, I've always quit. Like, I've never, ever switched jobs like that, giving the notice and actually doing it the right way. So I was kind of going with that, how it snowballs for you when you start using, especially when you step, step it up to using stimulants or opiates or whatever, how things just quickly snowball, you start losing things and don't even realize you're losing things. Now that things are headed in the right directions, it sounds like that things are snowballing the other direction for you. And I wish that we were on camera here because if you could have seen the way Janetta's face just lit up when I said that. So talk about that reaction, Janetta. Oh, man, we went from having absolutely nothing, nothing. We had a trailer that we bought for a dollar that had holes in the floor that we didn't have a stove. We didn't have a toilet. We didn't have a shower. We didn't have hot water. We didn't have a hot water heater. Or it's not even a hot water heater. (laughs) A water heater. Um, we didn't have a running vehicle. We went through five different vehicles in the 18 months that we were in drug court. Um, we had the worst luck that you could possibly ever have. And it was all, obviously it was our own doings, you know? Um, but yeah, we went from having absolutely nothing to, um, we have a safe, stable roof over our children's heads. Every single one of our bills are paid. Um, we have not had a shut off notice on any of our bills in over two years. Uh, which is a huge thing for us because before it was, oh, we'll put 10 bucks on it and then it'll leave us alone, even though our power bill is 600 bucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, um, and now we have, you know, we have three cars. We have a camper. We have our house. We have, uh, you know, our kids are, are the happiest that they've ever been, you know. So, yeah, everything snowballed the opposite direction. And it was just like, oh, he, it's just like Oprah. Here's you a car. Here's you a car. You know, going from nothing to something is it, it's worth it. What's a bad day look like now as compared to before? Is there such a thing as a bad day anymore? No. no. Well, everybody has bad days. Everybody has bad days. Our bad days now look... Uh, 180 to what they used to. Um, I, I lost my keys. Where they at? Oh, it's okay. It's all right. Let's go talk to him. Let's go get another one. We got another car. We can go. We can yeah. jump in that one. Four years ago, end of the world. End of the world. Catastrophe. We it was back then. We would have went out and used over it. Our when at the beginning of drug court, the transmission went out on our suburban going from Bellwood to David City. We were three miles from David City. Transmission just went. It was probably three months. Yeah, it was about three months starting. And we knew that we already had a mindset change because instead of our mindset being, okay, well, 
this is a horrible, horrible situation. What can we use to, to, to get past this? It went from that mindset to, okay, who can we call to come help us tow this suburban home? Who can we call to help us fix this? Who can we call to help help us? You know, not, okay, well, I'm going to go use this last 10 bucks I have and go, you know, buy a bag. It's, okay, I'm going to use this last 10 bucks and we're going to give it to this person for gas money to get us home. So have you, either one of you ever had anybody invest as much in you as you had during drug courts from judges to law enforcement, to treatment providers, to probation officers, to, to you name it? When does that become, when does that become apparent to you that they aren't fighting against you? They're trying to, they're trying to get you to fight for yourself. Okay. Well, to answer your first question, I wouldn't be sitting here right now if I wouldn't have been let down. Um... <laughs> That, that's pretty much it. If I if somebody would have invested in me the way Butler County invested in me, I would not be sitting here today. I would have had a grip on everything that I needed to have a grip on, and I could have made the different changes in my life that didn't lead me down the path that I led down. Do I regret everything that I've done in my past? No. Yeah, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for that. Lessons learned, right? Lessons learned. And I, I, I would say if I had to do this again, I would. In, in a heartbeat, do I want to? No. <laughs> but if I had to, I, I would. It's all about putting tools in the tool bag. Exactly. Yeah. And I got all and, the tools. Uh, the program actually gave us all the tools and the knowledge to actually do what we need to do to stay clean. Another thing I would be remiss if I didn't talk about, May is also Mental Health Awareness Month. And so, Janetta, I know you, you have talked in here and during your, your speech as part of the proclamation about some mental health issues. Why, you know, as, as a person who is kind of an anxiety guy myself here, why is it so important for people to recognize and, and for us to destigmatize mental health as long as we're, as long as we're advocating for, for things and it's Mental Health Awareness Month, let's advocate for that as well. Because mental health is, the, the, is everything. Um, if you are not healthy in, in your mind, you're not going to make the correct decisions that could benefit your life, and you're not, you're not of sound mind. You know, you may think, but you're, you're really not. How much time did you spend trying to hide what was going on with your mental health from people? 34 years. Okay. I've spent my entire life masking and disassociating to show that I, that I wasn't, that I didn't have any problems. And how big of a deal was that? How important of a turning point was that when you finally said, I have some mental health issues that I need to deal with here too? Oh, huge, huge. Cause it, it, it is a stigma. You don't talk about mental health. You do not talk about mental health. Um, this moment, like with, uh, some of his family, like you, you start talking about it and they're like, oh, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. Okay. Well, there is, and I will, I will be vocal about it. There is something wrong. If you don't feel right, you need to go. All right. So as we get ready to wrap this up, I have one final question for the two of you. If you had an opportunity, let's say you saw one or the other of you teetering on maybe a relapse to go back to where you once were. What would you tell each other as far as the path you've been on, the words of encouragement, uh, the getting back into getting back into the tool bag and using the tools that you have? Thomas? Just given the tools that we already had, um, if I was to see my, my wife slipping to like basically going back to where we were, um, 
I just start um, talking about all the success that we've had and just all bringing up all the tools that we've learned and just talking with her about it. Uh, I mean, we could fix the problem, basically. We know each other and we're great with each other. We, we can talk with each other. We, we'll figure it out. Something that stood out to me there, you can also see your success, right? Not only this is how we've been successful, but the house, the cars, the jobs, the whatever else. It's not just a, it's, it is not an intangible thing. It, it is something you can reach out and touch and you can see where you've been. So Janetta, same question to you. I would just uh, bring up, you know, just, just remember where we came from. You know, is, is, this, where, is this where you want to be, you know, five years ago? Is this where you want to be now? Are, are, we doing, are we doing the most for, for our situation? And if you are giving, God forbid, your kids this speech someday or somebody else that you know from Butler County, from Polk County, from I don't care if it's Idaho, I don't care where it's from, if you have an opportunity to mentor somebody or impress upon them why taking advantage of the opportunity that a problem-solving court gives them is so important, what would you tell them? I would start at the very beginning and be like, Look, listen to my life story for a minute. Yeah, I can sum it up in five if you want, but at the end of the day, what do you want? Because at the end of the day, an addict won't change until they're ready to change. You can't take someone and force them to do this program. You can't take someone and force, like you can take them and put them in jail. Like that ain't gonna, that ain't gonna help them. But once an addict is ready to change, they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna grasp it and they're gonna take it. But I would just hope that I could just be like, look, this is where I came from. This is where we are now. Yeah, it took a little bit, but it was worth it. One thing I think I can say is that in honor of Problem Solving Court Month, looking at a couple people across the tape for me that have taken that opportunity to change, you both represent some pretty good examples of that. Thank you. So once again, Janetta and Thomas Albers, thank you very much for joining us. Thank, thank you, you for having us. us. This has been another episode of Your Nebraska Judicial Branch. Please remember to subscribe, like, and review us on your favorite podcast platform.